This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, my friend Gregory, how are you today? Not too bad. How are you doing, Mr. Stelter? Good, good. So this is uh, kind of a... Uh, uh, whatever, a leftover from our chapter and affiliates down in Rapid City. We we got to hang out with uh, Marcus Goris. He's uh, treasure for Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation. Needless to say, he's a bit of a character, man. That He is so much fun. And uh, man, in, in that chapter and affiliate setting, he was uh, just a guy that so much energy and loves to have a good time, but also gets down to business and looks after wild sheep too, right? Oh, absolutely. And he's going to give some auctioneers out there a run for their money after his showing at uh, Chapters and Affiliates. I was kind of impressed with that. Just grab the mic, first time ever, give her and sell a room full of people and make a bunch of money. And it was it was awesome. And I had a great time watching him, being a part of that. Wow. I can't even imagine how much money we raised. Uh, and he seemed to be selling two of everything. It's like, I'd hate to have a one-off of anything because he'd be in trouble. But uh, he turned some really good dollars around for uh, conservation, and it was pretty inspiring. It uh, he, he drugged some cash out of my pocket, but I was happy to contribute for such a great cause. So. Yeah, I was happen, uh, happy you were spending the money at the table and not me. So it was good. Didn't get in trouble when I got home. <laughs> yeah, I haven't... Uh, cleared all that through the war department here yet so well, she'll, uh, she'll, she'll find out when the podcast drops <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh you don't want to hear that one hun. that's not not the best one to listen to yeah um but uh no marcus is such a great guy and and for those listening you, you know you can just hear his passion he's just uh you know really really uh um uh, moves the needle for wild sheep in oregon do, done a done a ton of work there and uh, like relatively new to the board and just one of those guys that gets after it, right? So it's pretty cool. Yeah, was, for what he's doing already and how young he is, it's it's inspirational. Like he's just taking over kind of the scene and pushing Wild Sheep Foundation, Oregon, big time. And it was kind of neat before before we started recording the podcast, his opening to us was, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Oregon Wild Sheep. And he delivered on that and opened my eyes a little bit to what was going down in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And it's interesting, you know, we've seen that here, like we had the old guard with the society for years and years and years. And then there's a lot of new blood that came in, right? And, um, you know, it's it's interesting and you kind of need a balance of both, right? Like you need some fresh ideas, um, but there's been a lot of things that the old guard has done over the years that, you know, didn't work. There was, you know, they tried something and, and, you know, the, the new crowd comes in and like, Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not necessarily a good idea. So I think having that healthy balance and I look at our board and we've got some excellent leadership from uh, Mike Selden, Chris, Chris Barker, and you know, there's other, other people that have been around too, but not as long as those two. And then there's kind of the new guard and they're like, Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. And it's, a, I think that's the strength of our board, and I see it with Oregon, you know, having that fine balance of trying to find a, that sweet spot of the old and the new and trying to work together, and, and some really good things happening with that. Yeah, and he's he's got some good ideas around there, and if you listen to the podcast, you can hear him talk about what to do with the, uh, the old guard, so to speak, and uh, create that committee he was talking about, and that, you know, it's worth listening to. I 
I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, really good. hundred percent. Okay. So, um, this is dropping just over two weeks to go till the opener. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all happening. There's going to be some sheep. The countdown is on for you. Countdown's on for you. You got plans. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. So, uh, for anyone that's, uh, interested in doing some sheep hunting and has a trip planned, if you're, uh, you know, I guess the one thing that that as a society we're trying to advocate for is, uh, you know, educate yourself on horn aging and make sure that uh, you're up on the regs and all that that kind of good stuff. It kind of goes without saying, but we've seen a little bit higher than normal uh, harvest rate of young rams in, in previous years here. So just a friendly reminder, just make sure you do your due diligence. I know there's some very experienced sheep hunters that listen to this. Um, but, uh, for those of you that are a little bit rusty on that stuff, uh, there's some great resources out there over to the website, check it out, uh, wildsheepsociety.com. And, and one of the icons right there is horn aging. There's a film, uh, short video from Bill Jecks on, on aging sheep and, uh, tons of other great resources too, but get out there and educate yourself and just make sure that you, and again, you know, my biggest thing, Greg is like, if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. So if you're not sure about your Ram, if he's, if you're thinking he might be a little bit young, then just wait, wait and come back. And um, there's no harm in letting them, letting them walk another year. And I've let a lot walk over the years and probably they were legal, but um, the alternative is not pretty. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you don't want to become a stat going in the wrong direction. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's good, good advice to uh, make sure you're certain five times over before you pull that trigger. Yeah, well said. And for those of you that are successful, um, send us some emails, your pictures, and your stories. We want to run them for the magazine. We want to share the success. Uh, communications at wildsheepsociety.com. And uh, we'll, we'll remind you over the next few weeks how how to get in, in touch with us and just share your stories. Let's get it out there and share with our members and uh, enjoy the successes of a, a fruitful uh, fruitful hunt. And even if you're not successful, we'd love to tell those stories too, especially if there's a uh, something you learned or something that you, uh, some sort of train wreck that's interesting. We'd love to hear about it. So, um, sheep count, what's going on with the sheep counts, buddy? Well, this, this weekend, if you want to, uh, come onto the Fraser river with us and hang out and glass some, some big horns and check on lamb retention from this year's treatment herd, you just reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, shoot our, uh, our social media channels for the wild sheep society, or even talk to sheep. I'll, I'll be there answering any one of them. If, if you're looking to come glass sheep, we need help. The Fraser river is a challenging area to glass and it's a challenging area to get volunteers to because we're a long ways out there. Um, you know, the, one of the main spots is over 75 K on the gravel and you know, going out a little wet. So you're, it's that's a tough go to get folks and we appreciate everybody that's coming out and you know we are giving away uh, seek outside sent, sent us some tents to give away to a volunteer and you know your odds right now are really good <laughs> there's only a handful of volunteers and we don't include uh, board members or executive or any of that so it's the boots on the ground volunteers that show up are going to be entered for a draw and for those that are considering it, like this is really important work that's being done for wild sheep. Like these numbers, um, 
they they factor into this massive Fraser River project, this test and remove project. It's a one point six million dollar project, and um, we need to know what the lamb numbers are doing. And if we're seeing a, a really um, really bad lamb recruitment, we know that probably it wasn't successful. We we maybe have to go back and treat again, or if it's successful, it, that. It's gonna. It, it plays a, an important role in our decision making. Actually, not so much ours, but the government's decision making. Um, they use those stats, and it's really important. So, um, you know, you're actually doing something really good for wild sheep, and uh, it's really important that uh, we get this data. So, don't feel like it's like a just a night out where you're getting away from getting a, uh, get to do some camping, and you're not really doing anything for wild sheep. This number, these numbers are really, really important to to the project. So, yeah. It, uh to stress that the the lead on that Chris Proctor, I don't even know if I'm halfway home from there before he's calling me asking how it went. How many lambs did you see? How many ewes did you see? What's the what's the ratio? What's the percentage? What's going on? It's like last I think the last trip I was yeah half halfway home to Vancouver and he was our power calling asking what the hell's going on, guys? I want answers now. Awesome. Um, yeah, I appreciate all you do with that, Greg. I know it's a ton of work to put it together and a lot of time and effort that you spend traveling up there and, and stuff and you're doing a great job. So thank you to, to yourself and all the volunteers that get involved. It's, uh, it's inspiring. So thank you. No, no problem. Hey, have fun doing it. So. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, with that, uh, we're going to talk to Marcus Goris and the treasurer of Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation. Enjoy the listen and, uh, we'll, chat soon this episode is sponsored by our conservation partner frontiersman gear thank you sitka gear and frontiersman gear for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems awesome dude uh great to have you on the show and uh we're just going to talk about anything you feel like talking about but i imagine it's going to involve killing sheep i imagine it's going to talk about uh saving sheep talk a little bit about what's going on in oregon i don't know anything you want to talk about today um I think I'm more focused on my chapter than I am personal, um, but we can tell some hunting stories and have some fun. But really, I, you know, I'd love to, to get to speak with you guys and discuss, you know, means and methods and common struggles that our chapter and affiliates have is we're all volunteers and no paid positions and, and what we really do that a lot of folks don't see behind the scenes um, and how how we can get more people interested. Um, Oregon's a really hard state to get people interested in sheep. Um, and I'll dive into that because I have some uh, pretty strong opinions on uh, how we can get more people involved. But our uh, government agencies are are a little bit behind on uh, allowing those opportunities. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about today. And that was one of the things that came up is that Oregon's a uh, uh, when it comes to hunting and uh, gun control and that sort of stuff, it's not necessarily on the line that we kind of want them to be on, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, I was going to dive into that with you today and talk about a little bit about what's going on there. But hey, before we get going, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, about who you are and let's talk about Marcus Gores. What, what brought you to the sheep world and what you got involved in the conservation gig? Uh, yeah, so I'm Marcus Gores. I'm 31 years old. Uh, I'm a general contractor in Oregon. Uh, work out of Oregon, Washington, and Utah, and that's what pays the bills. Um, I've been doing it for 17 years now. Uh, it's a family business. My parents are in their succession plan, and I run the business with my sister. Um, employ 
uh, a lot of people, about 100 on payroll, and then another 200 of uh, subtrades that work directly for us. So uh, my stressors in life are making sure everybody stays busy and everybody stays paid, and, and we just continue to work and collect the paycheck and uh, you know build better homes for people. Um, on the conservation side, uh, or the hunting side, I should say, which got me into conservation, um, I, some of my earliest memories are elk hunting with my dad and my uncle, uh, my dad, Sean, and my uncle, Henry. And it was, you know, taping my jacket to my gloves and my, my pants to my boots with green duct tape so I didn't get mosquito bites and tromping me around in the hills, you know, chasing elk in Oregon. And it's as far back as I can remember, is like six, seven years old. And I got into archery hunting and did that with them. And it was an awesome experience and it was a great introduction because I had some diehards who really just gave me the bug. And with that, um, I started understanding how animals not only need a, a stable ecosystem, but need us humans to uh, take into account their lives and, and how we interact with them and, and how we sus uh, sustain their populations and, and manage them. And uh, as we are, you know, two ecosystems colliding. Uh, so sheep wise, uh, my first sheep banquet was Washington Wild Sheep. And... Uh, I went with a, a buddy of mine, or excuse me, I, I went with uh, uh, my previous wife, and uh, we went and had a great time, met some friends, um, awesome experience, uh, there was some some shenanigans that happened, and we are all having fun at the bar after, and um, I thought, Oregon's got to have one of these, like, how do I figure this out? And so it took me like a week of searching the internet and everything in between to find out that uh, Oregon does have one. Um, it was uh, Oregon Foundation for North American Wild Sheep at the time, FNAS. And uh, I finally found it. And I was like, man, it's so hard for me to find you to give you my money. Like, I'd love to, to come to your banquet. Uh, but it, it took me forever to figure it out. I had to call a number and they wouldn't take credit card. And I had to just show up with a check. And it, it worked out, though. So my buddy and I went to that one. My ex-wife said, sit on your hands, please. Uh, please don't bid on things. And uh, sure enough, I bought some life memberships and had a great time. And uh, I stopped uh, one of the folks that was wearing an Oregon you know, Wild Sheep shirt. And um, I said, who does your website? And who does your marketing? Uh, and she says, uh, you know, it's a volunteer that does. And I said, I think I can help you folks with that. It's something I'm good at. I'm good at the internet. I'm good at social media. Uh, good at presenting stories and images and and uh, so they asked me to come to their board meeting the next day I did and ever since then I've been just deeply involved and that's that's going on four years now uh, and at that time I had never hunted sheep and I just found this love for them because they were majestic and something I don't get to experience and I got to learn so much uh, you know not even knowing all subspecies I went into wanting to help uh, and so but one of my caveats was with them, uh, I'm not going to sign up to be a member with you folks until I can do it online. And so they kind of, uh, you know, with me kind of want to die on that hill and, and wanting to kind of get them to move along and, and maybe catch up with, you know, how they operate. Um, I took over their website, redesigned it, and we do membership through there now. Uh, I then started taking on other tasks and roles and trying to bring them into current times so it's easier for our membership and our supporters to be able to find us, get information, and also help support us with donations and uh, you know, uh, being able to provide funds 
uh, for for our organization. So I've done that. I'm our active treasurer. Um, what does that mean? I do all of our finances, uh, which is not my strong suit, but I've told myself that you know, in, in order to be a good leader, you have to understand other people's roles. Uh, so I didn't want to just jump into a position. I kind of started at the bottom of our executive positions, and I'm going to work my way up. Wow. Okay. Well, there's a little bit of stuff packed in yeah. there. Um, let's start off with, there, there's a big difference between liking sheep and wanting to save sheep <laughs> and wanting to do the conservation work and then get involved with the board. So, and so what kind of, you know, lots of people go to the show and they have a good time and they drink a lot of whiskey and they tell a lot of bullshit, but you know, people, then there's people that step up and they, you know, and you know, you and Greg are two perfect examples, inspirations really, like the the amount of heavy lifting that you guys do and, and so many other volunteers too. And there's a lot of people, but you know, there's a, also a very, when you look at it holistically, it's a pretty small percentage of people that are doing a shitload of work. So how do you go from liking sheep and maybe want to go and kill one to getting so involved and doing what you're doing? And it's not like you get sitting around doing nothing. Like you're running a (laughs) freaking huge corporation too on top of it. Yeah. Uh, I think part of it comes from just how I was was raised. I I had probably some of the, most of my work ethic comes from my parents and I've always been told, if you want something done, give it to a busy person to do. Um, and that's just kind of how I live. Like, I, I always know, like, I, I'm, I'd work well under pressure. Um, sometimes I, I probably do overextend myself. But really, it's just I, I know what my strengths are and what I can help provide. And I think the difference a lot of the times with uh, organizations and chapter and affiliates of Wild Sheep um, and even other organizations, Rocky Mountain Elk, a lot of the volunteers and a lot of the executive board, they typically come from a government agency background. And uh, I feel like there's a lack of business people um, that are able to help. Um, This is no rag on government agencies, but they're not quick by any means. Uh, It takes a lot of checks and balances to get things done. Um, I look at our nonprofit as a business. I don't look at it as an agency that helps out. and so I treat it like a business. Everything should be profitable. Um, we should be able to bring in funds. We should have events or you know key key times in our year when we're focusing on funding raising, when we're focusing on uh, in the field projects, uh, and you know providing good information to our membership. So you know I, I just take what I know and apply that to something that I have become oddly uh, passionate about. Uh, but how you know how did I really get into sheep? I, I I think I just tripped into it. I I don't. There's not like I didn't have a. Oh, I went on a sheep hunt. I'd been on one sheep hunt prior to, and I'd killed a goat prior to uh, joining and and becoming an active member and a board member. But I I never thought it was going to be realistic for me to chase my grand slam or chase my super slam. Um, so you know I, I I it wasn't. It wasn't like I'm doing this to hopefully draw a tag. And it's kind of funny because people always think like, oh, these people, either they have killed or they're, they're hoping to kill by the efforts they put in. More than half my board has never hunted sheep with a tag of their own. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, uh, our membership, like our past president, Kevin Martin, never killed a sheep. Been applying for like 30 some odd years. Um, so for me... It was never for the hopes of being able to hunt sheep. It was like my opportunity to give back and put my strengths into something that I care about and something that's not going to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't really get out in trouble. You can't get in trouble 
for hiking around in the woods or for going on sheep counts or doing things like that. I could be at a bar with my buddies and, you know, painting the town, but I'd much rather be in the woods and, and enjoying, you know, wildlife. Yeah, right on, man. Let's talk a little bit about sort of this, um, I guess, the new generation. So you talked about uh, Oregon Fanaz, as they were formerly known as. You came and got involved. Um, but there's kind of been uh, a change of the guard with, with what you're doing. You know, you talked about bringing the website up. And, and I've been watching what you guys are doing. I'm a New Life member, thanks to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> super stoked about that. And um, so, you know, what what's that process like? And obviously... You know, a lot of the the older gentlemen that have been around for decades are still involved. But uh, talk about that transition and how that's going, because uh, you know we've ex- we've seen it too, and and it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, internally, um, and I don't want to air out my dirty laundry. Internally, it's it's a struggle. You know, people have been so passionate about something for so long, and they either may not be able to help as much, um, you know, in time. Uh, but they still have that passion for it. It's really hard to fill their seats because they still carry that love for sheep and the the want to help them. So it's been uh, you know you, you have to build a trust uh, with with the people, and that's by doing what you say you're going to do. When you sign up, you know when you sign up for a committee chair, um, run your role and do it successfully. And if you aren't successful at it brainstorm and work with the folks to figure out how to make it be successful. So that was one of the big things. I think recruitment and retention is one of the most difficult things because in Oregon, uh, you know, to hunt rams, it's a once in a lifetime tag. So even when you do get the 21 year old guy or 16 year old girl that draws a, a ram tag, they'll never hunt sheep again in Oregon until two years ago so that and that's something that i'm super passionate about but it's, it's like a one and done not a lot of them are applying in every single western state to hunt sheep not a lot of them are going to alaska to go hunt dolls or the nwt or you know go hunt uh stones in bc so it it's not it's not uh it's not really inviting um and that it kind of sucks but i understand it from a from a biologist standpoint um, and I think the U hunt that uh, Oregon has recently implemented is a great intro for folks as well as a great uh, follow up. So um, that's uh, that's leading back to, to recruitment and retention. Uh, you know, we just want to keep people involved, and not just that. You know, you you have to grow a younger team, and you have to teach them, you know, how it's been done, or you know, the that ideas that this group has because every group has maybe a little bit different in ideas and different topics Uh, and you know just education for a younger generation to fill in those spots and we have filled in some younger folks uh, but one of the other things that you know I worked on was an advisory committee and so we've created a committee of essentially historians uh, and we, you know, for, for the board members that continue to rerun because they have the information, but they may not make board meetings and quorum becomes an issue or, you know, certain things like, you know, we don't get all the votes we need or something like that. Uh, it becomes difficult, but you want to keep those people around and keep them in tune and educated and be able to educate us um, as the younger generation of, you know, sheep lovers. So 
uh, the advisory committee is something that we're ironing out um, in our board meeting here in two weeks, uh, our summer board meeting. We should be having all of our requirements and guidelines for it um, hashed out. So um, active member, previous board member, uh, no wildlife violations, etc. Just being a, a good member, active, and being a good outdoorsman. Uh, so I think that has helped too by giving you know folks uh, who are maybe at the tail end of their board life, but not of their sheep life, a place to be and still help. So that advisory committee, how many people would you have sitting on something like that? So Marcus? it's essentially, uh, that's something that I don't think we should put a cap on because you can never have too much information. Um, and it's going to pass with time. Um, you know, people maybe that that might be their step to take a step back right or um but i don't think there's a cap on how many and it's going to take a while to truly fill it um i don't think it's a sub board uh, i think it's just a group of people if they want to help and want to communicate and educate and provide history um that are you know meeting minutes and uh, you know our declarations don't provide for us uh, they're there for that so right now there's three looking to go to it uh, but it could get as large as 10 15 um, but you do, I think it would hone down or it won't get that big because um, you have to hit that requirement of being an, an active board member. And typically, if you're an active board member, you don't go sit you know, a term and then go to the advisory committee. You would bounce around on the board in different executive positions or director positions uh, and then go from there. So, and there's no, you know, there's no minimum age for our advisory committee, uh, but we'll look at it and review it and then put, you know, assign people to the advisory committee if they opt in. Right on. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about recruit, recruitment and retention. So, you know, I've always looked at uh, RMEF or MDF or, you know, uh, National Turkey Foundation Federation, you know, any of those that, you know, you can hunt them every year. You know, there, there's literally millions of whitetail hunters or mule deer uh, hunters, or and sheep are different. There's, you know, there's a couple thousand tags in BC every year. In Oregon, they'll hell of a lot less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess the question I have for you is, is how do we attract those people? How do we keep people engaged? How do we um, focus on the mission? People care about sheep, obviously, but also if you can't hunt them, it sort of takes some of the the luster out of it too. So. You know, what are your, some of your thoughts on, on recruitment and retention and how to keep people engaged in that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is uh, consistency, um, and that's with retention. Um, you know, once you have them, if you stay in front of them, you'll typically do well. If they become uninterested, it's because of uh, maybe their own personal uh, interests uh, changing or shifting. But once you have someone in front of you and you give them an experience to either be around, count, hunt, uh, help out on you know trap and tests that type of thing that really gets people excited um, the the recruiting part is I think the hardest because like you said you know you guys have a couple thousand tags we have 87 I think it was 87 this year maybe 90 something um, so it's hard and only I think 11 goat tags or something along those lines. I'm not super versed in our regs. I would be if I drew, but um, I didn't this year. But yeah, it's it's just hard to get people you know interested when they don't have an opportunity. So the best thing that I've done is start dragging my friends out with me on 
you know, habitat projects or taking them out to, you know, guzzler rebuilds or taking them on counts um, or just getting them into sheep and showing them where they are. Because if you're typically in, you know, the organization as a member or a board member, you probably know where sheep are. And so taking them into that country and showing them, you know, the Wahis or showing them, you know, the Snake River Canyon or Hell's Canyon and the Snake River that runs through it and showing them, you know, the John Day or showing them Deschutes River Canyon. It's it's special and not a lot of people get to experience that because they may not hunt deer there. So they'd never see the sheep there. Um, but really just getting them in the field, that's the first, I mean, that's that's the hook, um, you know, to, to keep them interested is I think the communication and you know showing them not just what we're doing but where their dollars are going uh, and you know our successes and also the failures um, that we need to act on and help out with and then one of the last things right on yeah Uh, I'm actually this subtle plug Um, (laughs) there's an ewe hunt now that is not once in a lifetime (laughs) in Oregon and I love this hunt this is like the my first doe hunt to get you into sheep I think anyone who is interested in sheep hunting should apply for these tags because it's not their once in a lifetime. It's not like they only get five days of sheep in Oregon, you know, on a five day hunt, kill a ram and you're done. Um, That you hunt that was rolled out three years ago now um, started with a small amount of tags and they opened it up back to everyone. And that was one of my biggest gripes was you're going to have a bunch of ram hunters who previously killed take those tags and not have the opportunity to get someone new into wild sheep and uh the the agency's response was uh you know i don't think they're going to be interested in hunting ewes no one goes from you know hunting big meal deer to going and hunting does and our first year four of the 12 tags went to previous ram hunters and i said i told you and i applied for that tag and I said, there should be a waiting period after you hunt an ewe, three year or a five year or something. You know, give people a chance to filter through and get that experience, get into the country. And um, and so my, I, I had this like, I was like, I'm gonna prove you guys wrong. I'm gonna apply for it, and I'm gonna end up killing like five ewes in ten years, and people are gonna be pissed. And they're like, why can't I go sheep hunting? Well, because this guy is drawing, you know, five out of ten years because there's no wait period. So I'm still on that kick and I'm standing by it. I drew last year, I did a film on the hunt, and that was also to get folks interested in the ewe hunt. Um, It's the same thing as a ram hunt. I mean, you're just smaller horns and and different reproductive organs. They still eat the same. Uh, It was still an amazing hunt. Uh, Got it done with some of my good buddies. But that is a great sense uh, or a great ability to recruit. I think getting people in the field on that hunt, because it's not once in a lifetime. You can eat that tag. Do we want you to? No. But, you know, it's not as stressful as your once in a lifetime. Oh, you know, hey, you just drew this coveted tag and you've, you don't even know where sheep are. Or, you know, you have no idea how to hunt them or how they act or where they're going to be, um, you know, things like that. So it's just, it's tough. But I think that's one of the things that ODFNW has done to help that recruitment for us as well. And I don't think it was for us. I think it's for population management, but it is helping that. So was this kind of a new hunt? Like, is this brand new? Have they ever done it before? Like, you know, there's very few you hunts as we know, but what's the deal with that? Yeah, so this is, a, I, should, I believe this is our third season. I drew on year two, so last year. Yeah, this is our third season of having it. Since uh, inception, they have increased tags uh, by double. 
Um, so I think we rolled out like 12 the first year and then uh, gave, I think, one in each uh, River Canyon. So there's uh, John Day Hunt, a uh, John Day U-Hunt, and there's a Deschutes River U-Hunt. And they are, um, they're, they're fairly easy to draw. Um, and I'm probably wrecking my odds and a ton of other people's by promoting it, but I really just want people to get involved with sheep. <laughs> but it's it's not once in a lifetime so you can draw year after year after year after year if you're lucky um, there's no points it's all lottery based you have same amount of odds as the person next to you that applied um, and now at year three i think there's like 24 tags out this year so they're increasing it and it's it's a it's a population management tool uh there's a lot of sheep in those two river canyons um to the extent of you know should we move some probably uh, but they're trying to be proactive on that as well uh, by having some u hunts. Hmm. I think la- cool. I think last counts um, in the shoot or last counts in the shoots on flying was something like seven hundred, and then in the John Day it's like touching a thousand. It's a lot of sheep in one confined wow. area. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got some uh, spots we can put your sheep if uh, if we need to. Yeah. So I look forward we'll, to having we'll that. Have to work on that. I, I look forward to having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so talk to us a little bit about what's going on. Where you guys have had a record-breaking fundraiser this past year. Um, where's the money going? What are you guys uh, investing in? What are your projects? Yeah, so uh, we have our regular active projects, um, which are boots on the ground. Um, we have a juniper cut, and we clear tens of acres in about a day and a half uh, with a bunch of volunteers running chainsaw and just lopping trees over. And uh, what that does for the habitat is uh, juniper trees can drink up to 60 gallons of water a day. So when you start you know, dropping them and following them correctly uh, so they don't grow back, springs will pop up out of nowhere. Lush green grass will come in places where it was just dust before. So that's one of our biggest pushes, and, and we do that. And uh, I I really look forward to it next year. I want to bring a drone and fly it to show before and after of what we cut. Um, and then go back and look at previous places we have cut and look at how lush and green it is compared to what we're cutting. So that's something we do, I think it's around February time, end of February. Um, we also do a weed chop on the Deschutes um, to get uh, get rid of um, invasive species and allow access to water for sheep. Um, so that's something that we put funding towards. And then we've also put funding towards a lot of our um, multi-state projects. So ION is a partnership that was created um, Idaho, Oregon, Nevada in our lower Oahe area. A lot of sheep don't know boundaries. I mean, you folks know this. Um, they, they don't have to have passports. They don't have to check in at border crossings. They do whatever they want. Um, and so, you know, these sheep move around, and so we need to work collaboratively um, to maintain, you know, them and disease transfer. And so that ION, uh, we had a, a pretty bad die-off, and we just did a big count. Uh, we went from, I think, three years ago, 33 uh, sheep seen in there to now like 86 and they're talking about going in and doubling down and collaring one or two sheep from each of the groups that they were spotted in uh, to really track them and, and focus more energy in on that so that's one of the the things that's it's taken up some money and, and nationals kicked in quite a bit um, they gave us a, a grant for that 
Um, we have another one in the tri-state, which is at Hell's Canyon, that top northeast corner of Oregon, the southeast corner of Washington, and the eastern border of Idaho, uh, where a lot of money is going. Um, that's an ongoing project. It's logistically super challenging to get in and out of uh, and maintain and monitor those sheep, as well as uh, maintain and monitor uh, a lot of the domestic grazers. Um, there's there's a, a couple of rogue grazers in there, if you will, um, that have, I think the guy has like a couple of camels, uh, an ox, and a bunch of goats, and uh, not vaccinated, doing whatever they want, wrong times of year to be in there, uh, and it's just not good. So uh, we're putting funds towards that uh, and lobbying, and uh, you know some of our funds are even going towards some of our gun bills uh, that could potentially stop uh, hunting as a recreational sport. Uh, some of the bills that have been introduced in Oregon most recently, and I'm not, this is not my strong suit, uh, but uh, on, uh, Kevin Martin keeps us updated from our uh, legislative committee. But we are, our, our rights as uh, outdoorsmen and women are, are being uh, infringed upon and our ability to own firearms and, you know, being able to, you know, hunt uh, wild species legally um, for the purpose of unlegal take or illegal possession of firearms. Uh, you know, stopping folks who are, you know, doing something legal is, is not going to automatically stop the people who are doing it illegally. So uh, it's a hard concept to for our folks here in Oregon to understand. Uh, and we are having to support quite a bit of gun bills. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of things I want to talk about. First of all, let's talk a little bit about, was there a bill... Uh, correct me if I if I'm not wrong. There was a bill or something, and I believe it was Oregon. It could be Washington State. Something to do with that we're trying to prevent killing of any animal, even if it was just for domestic purposes. Yep. Um, wasn't that in Oregon? That was that in was Oregon. Yeah. That was okay. So <laughs> it's it's crazy. So the bill read uh, bill read pretty nuts. Um, it it was shooting for the moon, and it got uh, it got stopped. But it's essentially even you know. Uh, even commercial growth of animals, you know, beef, uh, you know, Angus cows, things like that, uh, you can't, or they had to naturally reproduce, um, and then you, you couldn't kill them until they were a certain year old and like crazy things. And it's like, okay, so where's your food going to come from in your supermarkets to if you don't go out and forage and find your own food? Um, and then uh, take of wild game and things like that. So it, it was... It's a wild one. They, they throw things out there all the time or slip them in the backside of bills. Uh, but that one was, uh, it, it made it a lot further than I thought it would. Uh, but I was, was surprised, you know, after reading bits of it myself that, you know, what are we talking about here? Are you trying to eliminate, are we all going to start eating grass? And then what happens when all the grass is gone? You know, it's like you can't take a food source away from a population that one, can't fend for themselves or obtain it on their own. And two, you can't take those rights away from people who are doing it legally. So um, yeah, that one was, was pretty nuts. Um, and then our uh, most recent one, 114, uh, and we have another one going on right now, which is the protection of our, uh, protection of our rights to hunt and fish. But 114 was a gun ban. It's essentially, uh, that one was extremely difficult and, you know, authorities didn't even want it because they weren't staffed to handle it. Um, it was additional training classes to own firearms, uh, limiting uh, capacities on firearms, uh, multiple things like that and having to check in and renew licenses, additional licenses, additional training. I fully support safe gun use, uh, but, I, but what I don't support is 
uh, having people monitor something that is a right of ours in the states, as well as uh, back to what I was saying, you're making it harder for people who are you know owning guns legally to continue to own them. Though criminals will not follow these, they're not checking in their guns. Like, oh, this bill passed. Let me go run down to the sheriff's office and turn in the gun I possess illegally. So. Um, that one is put on hold. It did pass, but it's put on hold, and there's a bunch of lawsuits going on. Uh, interesting. Um, you know, that's one of the things that we we do often. We'll, we'll support these advocacy programs, and you know, we donate to you know lobby groups and that sort of thing occasionally around firearm management or control or that sort of thing. And you know, it's one of those things where it's a it's a bit of a mission drift, but uh, you know, you kind of. You know, you're not looking after wild sheep per se, but, uh, you know, one of our mandates or purposes is that we unite sportsmen and sportswomen. Mm-hmm. Well, if we take away firearms, it's it's going to be hard to unite those people type thing. So, you know, it's kind of a challenging one. And do you guys get much push up? Our membership seems to be re- really supportive for the most part. Do you guys find that, you know, that's that's what your members want or, or what's the feedback on that? Yeah, I think um, our membership is... Uh, mainly comprised of of outdoorsmen and outdoors women. So I I believe that they support that. I couldn't speak for every single one because I don't know every single one of them. But I I think we all have this common understanding that, uh, you know, in order to continue to do what we do and want to do what we love, um, we have to come together. Whether we sit on one side of the aisle or the other in our political views, we all have a common interest of uh, being outdoors, uh, hunting as a recreational sport, uh, and as a means of obtaining food for our, our families, uh, for some of those that do, uh, you know, harvest for meat, and uh, taking our rights to own guns legally away from us will hinder that. Um, so I think that's where we have a good uh, commonality, no matter where you stand on your spectrum of political views. So I, I believe you're correct. That's it's a it's a supported um, a supported concept. Yeah, right on. Um, so let's go back to the project side of things. Talk a little bit of. So it sounds like the population numbers in Oregon are pretty strong. Like, where's kind of where do you guys sit with the disease stuff, and are all your populations pretty strong, or there's some still struggling? Yeah, there's some still struggling, and they're actually focused. Uh, it's kind of funny. That's um, our major projects and funding uh, are in the areas where we are struggling. Um, we removed a hunt from one of our. <laughs> We, we removed a hunt from one of our uh, abilities to draw a tag because they just can't find the sheep in that unit anymore. It's like they have no idea where they went. Uh, and that's in the Potamus. Um, and, uh, and we had the fires last year, which pushed some tag holders uh, who couldn't hunt their goats uh, to this upcoming season. So we limited tags on that. But we did take some sheep hunts off uh, due to MOV um, and breakouts and disease. And then we have another issue of predators in one of our units. Um, that is probably one of my next big focuses. Uh, but uh, in, in the in the Hell's Canyon region is where we have a MOV breakout, and in the Oahis is where we're we're trying to recover from one. Uh, and those those hunts, uh, just like we did that count uh, about a month ago, and saw that that you know sheep herds bouncing back, they're going to double down on their efforts to monitor them. Um, that's ODF and W doing that, and try and try and get them back to where you know they're sustainable, and then potentially opening up the hunt again. Um, but in our Hell's Canyon uh, MOV breakout, uh, we are not seeing lamb recruitment. There's a ton of sheep 
but there's no lamb recruitment. So here soon there won't be sheep. Um, so they're just trying to monitor that. They're doing test and, remo uh, test and removal. Uh, but the the last one is uh, Heart Mountain. And Heart Mountain's got kind of a special place in our heart because we actually got sheep from you folks up in BC to start our Heart Mountain herd. And from there, we started placing them uh, in, in other places. And we obtained sheep from other states and other countries uh, to grow our populations in our state of Oregon. And the predator control, essentially, we lost hound hunting in like the mid-90s for uh, cats and, uh, for, excuse me, cougars, uh, because not all cats fall into that category. For cougars and bears, um, which makes it really hard to maintain a apex predator of a cougar. And they had uh, about, I would say, 250 sheep uh, in Heart Mountain, and they had like 30-something left by the time the cougars were done with them. And they knew it was cat kills. We couldn't get uh, an EIS passed in time to really act on the cats that were killing because their food source was gone and they'd left by that point. Um, they brought in houndsmen. Um, they uh, implemented some trapping techniques uh, in places where you can't typically hunt because it is a reserve. Uh, and it's really... You know, we're sitting there watching it happen before our eyes and we can't do anything because of the restrictions on the reserve. So it, it finally got approved, um, which was a habitat improvement, um, trapping uh, of the predators, and then it, uh, administrative removal with hounds. And I think their first year they got like two cats. And it's dry land hunting, um, so it's harder. Uh, but that one, uh, it really sucked to watch when you're finding a lot of dead sheep based on you know cougar kills and we couldn't do anything about it that's but that's one of my next focus that uh, I plan to tell that story um, it's going to be difficult to tell that story because it's really hard to catch a cougar on camera but I'd like to spend some time in Heart Mountain uh, with a videographer and some biologists to really discuss the problem and really discuss why predator management is one of our beliefs uh, in, in our mission at Oregon Wild Sheep because it's difficult to monitor predators in Oregon. So with that, Marcus, how do we get that message to the people that need to get the message? So it's fine. Like our circle gets it for the most part. And generally there's pretty widespread control for predator management. But the people that are voting at the ballot box have voted against the voted against predator hunting or cat hunting and cougar hunting, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. How do we get them and how do we get that message in front of them and tell that story to the people that need to hear it? It's... Um Around predator hunting, it's a lot of emotional-based opinions, uh, not necessarily factual-based. Um, it, it's it's funny in Oregon, you, like, you can get up to three cougar tags in a year, but you got to kill one first and then buy another, and then kill one and then buy another, and then kill a third. It's really hard to do that. Um, there, I mean, I've I've hunted cats. I've been fortunate enough to kill one in my entire life, uh, but it's. It's really, you, you have to lean on facts against people's emotions because, you know, the, the save the animal organizations of the world, uh, you know, really focus on emotion and that's their drive. Uh, and the only thing you can do is respond with facts and, you know, explain that as clearly as possible. How many sheep are these cats killing a year? Why do they kill them? 
Do they consume all of them? Um, what's their population? How has it grown? Uh, and are they infringing on uh, you know human populations as well? We had a lady uh, lose her life to a cat uh, up on one of our largest mountains while she was hiking. Um, that's a little too close for comfort for me. Uh, and they're starting to see them on people's ring cameras. My, I have a ring cameras on my place here in Oregon, and I get the notifications when there's a neighborhood alert. And I think last week someone had a cat on their camera. And it's just middle of the day walking through and you know people have livestock out here we're a little bit in the country but uh, you know just educating on how they're growing and we're not managing uh, but it's really you can't fight emotion with emotion it has to be factual based getting it in front of them it's their willingness to listen yeah we've been yeah, having, definitely a challenging so say we've been having the same issue up here with that uh, fighting emotion and science and you know it's it's incredible the numbers they come up with when it comes to the emotional side of things and their arguments are usually cute and cuddly and I've never seen them hurt anyone. Right. Well, that's not how it works. But Or there's not as many as they say. Uh, you know, where does this fact come from? Is this from the, the agency that's managing them? Because I know biologists that are for predator hunting and I know biologists that are against it. Uh, you know, it, it's everyone has their own difference of opinion. Uh, but really, if you were to let this ecosystem go on its own, um, you'd lose a lot of ungulate species due to predators, a lot. Yeah, and the unfortunate side of it is there's groups that are quite happy with that. They're like, let nature take its course. They're quite happy to, you know, we, we've there's a group here in BC that, uh, you know, we're out actively managing caribou now because they're species at risk. So we're, there's some things that we can do to manage the populations that we couldn't before, namely killing wolves uh, specifically. And um, they, they've they said, just let the caribou die. If they're that stupid to evolve, then let them go. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, are we going to let sheep go too? You know, where, where does it stop with that, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and that's your guys' mountain caribou? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. They're, they're, they've extremely cut back on tags. If not, is there any mountain caribou hunts available in BC anymore? Yeah, there is. There's certain populations that are doing better than others, um, and, and we're actually seeing some pretty significant recruitment where they've done predator management. So, the, like the the proof is in the pudding. It's absolutely. There's no doubt that the stats uh, support it. Unfortunately, it's a pretty bloody expensive program when you're out, you know, doing what they do there. It's not not cheap to do that. But we're seeing pretty good recruitment. But as you know, uh, caribou. Are, extirpated in the lower 48 southern bc they're all gone now they've got a few in a maternity plant pen and that's about it and there are certain huntable populations and it's interesting some guys were was it you Renzbeck, that killed caribou and, and had the co's stop you because somebody thought you guys were poaching them or something because they thought they were protected or what yeah we got stopped four times on the way home <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was uh they, they were usually pretty responsive but it was just People calling, saying we'd shot animals illegally because you can't hunt caribou. It's like, well, we we are allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I every time I've hunted yeah. BC. Oh yeah, we were. Uh, oh, I was just gonna say we were all over social media. People were sharing us on groups, and COs were they were waiting for us as we hit towns. That's crazy. It was uh, it was an interesting adventure home because I live near Vancouver, and coming from Deese Lake area it was uh, it was a long drive of getting stopped. Yeah. Every time I've hunted BC, I have had a mountain caribou tag um, in the Bix, and we could not grow a six point on any of the caribou that 
you know we saw but they were low in numbers where i was um i hunted toad river a couple of times um and then uh, i hunted far north of bc um when i killed my stone two years ago and i just i didn't see the populations there who who did you hunt your uh stone with who was that who's the outfitter that you were hunting? Uh, i hunted with uh blake williams of golden bear okay yeah awesome awesome part of the country up there for sure yeah yeah. It was a good, it was a great hunt. It was a late season. Um, um, I had a, an amazing experience. I booked it 40 days before the hunt. It was kind of just a, hey, we have an extra tag. Uh, you want to come up? And I took it. And it was just on a flyer uh, and ended up killing on day eight. But that was that late season hunt, that October 1 to 10, it was cold. And I'm not used to cold, cold. Uh, <laughs> but it was bone chilling i mean there's having to pour water in your boots just to get you know break the ice off of them as an interesting experience <laughs> yeah yeah pretty cool did you did you have a goat tag as well or was it exclusively for sheep i killed a goat on day 10 so after we did about 80 ish miles in eight days um and then we turned around and went goat hunting which is i think harder than sheep hunting because they're they're uh, up further. Um, you know, you find the sheep. If you want to find goats, look up. At least that's how it is every time I've hunted them. But, um, yeah, no, awesome experience there. Um, punched two of the four tags I had, a wolf tag and a caribou tag. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it really, really fun. Um, I would definitely go back and hunt with them. Outstanding family, outstanding outfit, and place to hunt. Yeah, the Williams are incredible people. Golden Bear is beautiful. Amazing country where they're at. And, yeah. Can't can't say enough good good things about them for sure. Uh, okay, so before we, I want to just touch base with a couple more things in Oregon. One thing specifically is, you guys are growing some huge sheep there these days, like <laughs> like monster sheep. Yeah. Um, like your your numbers are through the roof in terms of trophy quality, aren't they? Yeah. So our cows are doing really good, um, and especially in the river drainages. When you get down further south. Uh, they're not producing as trophy quality, but they're still great rams. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we had a raffle tag winner uh, take like a hundred and ninety-one inch Cali or something like that. It was just nuts. Uh, and then you know, I think the year before, a gentleman took like a hundred and uh, hundred and eighty-six inch Cali. Uh, so they're 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 really producing some great rams in, in our river drainages of uh, the shoots in the John Day. Um, our Rockies, if if we could hunt where we had our MOV breakout and where we don't have that tag, you could probably go kill a state record Rocky in there right now because no one's touched them for a number of years. Um, so I hope some of those sheep are around and don't just you know expire naturally um, so someone can get to enjoy that trophy um, when the hunt does open back up, if it does. But yeah, we're we're seeming to have some great genetics, and uh, they have great feed, great ecosystem uh, to just grow some crankers. And I think also, you know, having an abundance of sheep versus the number of tags that we're allotting is a great way to control, you know, age on rams. Um, and we do a lot. Uh, we it's actually coming up in two weeks. Um, we teach an orientation, uh, co-hosted or assisted with by ODF and W. Uh, our fishing game here and it's an orientation so um, it's mandatory for all you hunters it's mandatory for all goat hunters so you can positively identify sex and age class 
And then it is not a requirement for ram hunters, though we do get a lot of ram hunters that show up. Um, we spend essentially a day with them showing them what to look for, where to look, how to judge age, because these folks probably haven't hunted sheep before. And so we just try to give as much of our time and a lot of our uh, board actually go on hunts with folks. We meet, you know, tag holders at this. Well, I know the area, you know, do you need a, a guy with an empty backpack and, a, you know, and a spotting scope? Because I'll come. And our, our board members and active members get a kick out of it. So I think being there to help people uh, determine what's an old ram um, and a mature ram is really helping those numbers and our trophy quality go up. But yeah, we're... We're pumping out some great sheep. It's it's fantastic to see. Yeah, I, Oregon's always been an inspiration for me when I see what you guys do with that orientation. I think it's fantastic. I hadn't realized that it didn't include ram hunters as well. Um, do you guys do aging, or does ODF uh, and W do they also do uh, aging and and that? coaching as well or how does that work yeah so it's not mandatory for ram hunters um because you you know a ram really what they're worried about is someone shooting a juvenile ram instead of an ewe or someone shooting a nanny instead of a billy so that, that's kind of their main focus is, is sex determination on those two um but the ram hunters come and they want to know where um and all of the biologists which host the districts where our hunts are um open a map and sit down and in a breakout session they start talking about where to find them where to look where to go uh things like that um the they they do judge age and we have a, a display of uh, deadheads uh, and it's uh you know it shows you know what subspecies it is Iraqi, and then what age it is and then you know how to count annuli rings and false annuli and, and things like that um so we do focus on that but it's really uh it's sex determination is one of our biggest drives as well as preparing the hunter uh, because they have most likely never been on a hunt like this before. So that's that's what we focus on is, is their preparation so they have a great experience as well as making sure that they're taking uh, the right sex uh, of animal. So when you get drawn in Oregon, you get uh, it's a ram. Is it any ram or is there a minimum age requirement? It's any ram. And there are the folks that, okay. yeah, and there, there are the folks that do bring in juvenile rams. Um, they get excited. Um, a lot of the times what we preach is, you know, don't shoot the first sheep you see. Uh, and de- don't even carry bullets on you the first day. Uh, or let your buddy carry your bullets because you'll get excited. Oh, my gosh, look at that. And, you know, they're looking at a ram from behind, and every ram looks bigger from behind. So they get excited, and they end up shooting a four-year-old ram when they had the opportunity to shoot an eight-and-a-half, nine-and-a-half-year-old ram. Uh, because they're there they truly are so it's just you know people get excited uh, and it's again the pressure of once in a lifetime uh, for you know folks that don't understand that uh, who may, maybe not be hunters uh, you know they get you know 15 to 30 days to hunt a tag that they've never hunted most likely in a place where they've never been on a species that they're unfamiliar with so a lot of factors work against them and I think this orientation does help them one thing I'm pushing on is uh, having our uh, our draw period for sheep and goats uh, at the same time as our spring bear so people can prepare more. As our results come out in early June, some of these hunters' hunts start uh, as early as 30 days later. That's not a lot of time to take some you know, pay time off or, you know, scoot out on a Friday, take a long weekend, drive to the other side of the state and scout or learn the species or be in that area. So it, it can be frustrating for folks, you know, I can't find the sheep or you know, things like that. I, I Last year I sat on the phone with a gentleman and 
uh, kind of walked him through what he's doing or asked him how he was doing and um, he was saying we've walked so much we haven't seen anything I said that's why you just need to sit down and look uh, and sure enough he killed a ram the next day so you know it, it's it's a it can fluster the hunters and so I think giving them more time to prepare for their hunt would be beneficial as well but I think that's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of help to to get pushed through on on date change for those draws uh, okay, what else do we have uh, chapter-wise? Uh, anything else we need to talk about, Marcus, Greg? Anything we're missing, or because I want to transition to some hunt stories too at the end here? But <laughs> well, a little bit about our chapter, um, Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation, uh, as we're doing business as now, uh, is uh, rounding 25 years of being around, uh, and we are. You know, focusing on providing as much information about the species that we help. Uh, and that includes goats uh, and bighorn sheep in Oregon. Uh, we collaboratively, collaboratively work with uh, many other states uh, and provinces uh, to you know, be able to share ideas and concepts as well as help out financially whenever we can. Uh, but, but one of the things that I believe is I do our membership for now uh, is we're missing is that recruitment and retention. So if you are uh, listening and you're from Oregon and you're not a member of Oregon Wild Sheep, I urge you to sign up. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, I, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this and so do a lot of other people. Uh, and, you know, the, the goal of, uh, that we have is, is to, you know, make sure that, you know, sheep herds and goat herds are sustainable so we can enjoy the species, whether that be through hunting, viewing, working with, and for them. So uh, that's my sales pitch. Sign up. Uh, annual members, life members, family memberships, um, and uh, we're going to be discussing having nationals take on our membership uh, so we can focus our energy in other places uh, as it is a, it's a big time suck handling that. So I think I could be doing more with sheep um, and providing more information to our membership as opposed to managing our membership. But if you are not an Oregon member and you want to enjoy Oregon sheep or from a neighboring state, uh, or have had the chance to hunt them and aren't a member, I strongly urge you to sign up and, and support a great cause. Where do awesome, folks find the Wild Sheep Foundation of Oregon? Yeah, so uh, you can find us in a couple different places. Uh, OregonFanaz.org, uh, OregonWSF.org, and I believe OregonWildSheepFoundation.org. Uh, they all drive to one main channel. As we went through a name change, we're keeping that Oregon Fanaz in play still because that's where a lot of our membership knows where to find us. Um, and we will be transitioning slowly out of that and strictly to Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation. We're also on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is at Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, and then you can search Oregon Wild Sheep Foundation on Facebook and find us as well. Okay, one thing that you guys kick ass on is your raffles. You um, you, you had the Sierra Alamo raffle for a number of years. I think Doll Sheep last year. Mm -hmm. um, you got anything on the go right now, or are we expecting something soon? Yeah, so um, we're expecting something soon. Um, we were going to do a grizzly raffle. Um, it's a spring grizz hunt, and it, it just proved to be difficult uh, to sell tickets and be profitable um, based on observing other people's raffles that have either larger membership um, or more outreach. So we didn't want to take the chance of not doing as well. And so we put that one on the back burner that was supposed to be going live right now. Um, it's really, you know, it's not necessarily about the hunt, but it's about raising funds for sheep in our state and neighbor states that we work with. Um, so we just made that decision um, 
in May, excuse me, end of April to not run that raffle yet. Um, we will be having a sheep raffle coming up soon. We just did a doll uh, sheep raffle uh, with Ghana River. Uh, we've done CRL Alamo <clears throat> and we cap the number of tickets that we raffle. <clears throat> excuse me, so you know your odds. And uh, that's one thing that we like to present to people is great odds for a great opportunity um, that they may not be able to have in any other uh, aspect by going and booking the hunt. The gentleman that won our last desert sheep hunt bought one ticket. Uh, and then we did a uh, uh, ultimate Thule, uh grizz goat uh, black bear wolf combo. Uh, gentleman that won that, I think about like four or five. Um, and they're low dollar entries. We just want to make it accessible to everyone. Um, but we are working on a sheep hunt right now and that will go live beginning of the year um, right around sheep week and we'll run that until our banquet um, and in the meantime we'll all be busy hunting and working with sheep so <laughs> yeah that's that's what we have coming up in the future we will have another sheep hunt coming uh, but nothing currently awesome man totally stoked and uh, great work going on in Oregon there really exciting to see the the facelift with uh, the new name and the the, the uh, plaques are awesome and super stoked to get mine Really, really super excited about being a life member of you guys. Yeah, so we appreciate it. it. Appreciate the support. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk uh, sheep hunting. So you talked about your stone sheep hunt. Um, uh, where are you sitting on uh, for your finaz or your slam? Where are you at with your numbers for that? So technically 304, but I don't count my you. Um, I, I would like to register rams only. Um, so my first sheep was in 2020, uh, COVID cancellation, and I went and hunted dolls um, with Alaska Perimeter Expeditions. My guide, Hunter Dane, fantastic guy. I think he's the reason why I'm still sheep hunting, because you don't know if you're a sheep hunter until your first sheep hunt. Uh, at least that's how I see it, because uh, you don't know if you can take it. Sure. And I got physically prepared for that hunt, and I was so ready. I mean, I think I dropped like 20 pounds getting ready for that hunt. Um, and was super fit and in shape, but my mental, I just, you know, I, I thought I was strong. I'm not a crier. And I think I cried three times on that hunt. And I will say that like, it breaks you down. Like when you're just shoving calories in your mouth just to have energy or you fall asleep glassing cause you're exhausted. Um, it, it's a lot, but Hunter really pushed me through. He knew when to, he knew when to drive me with, you know, um, with, you know, words of encouragement and then you know and drive me in other ways with cattle prodding me i mean he he pushed me at the right times in the right places and i think that's why i had such a great experience on my first sheep hunt um i killed a 10 and a half year old ram uh he was broomed off on one side on his two-year annuli uh we were chasing a devil broomed ram he looked like a bighorn and then we saw this ram and you know switched gears and, and started chasing him and his buddy and got it done on day six of the hunt um, it was a fun pack out. We did, uh, we were going to sleep in the bush, uh, under some rocks overnight until I fell in the river at about 2 a.m. Uh, as the northern lights are dancing above us and it's just dark. Um, killed the ram at like 9.45 p.m., which is weird to think of uh, being a lower 48 hunter, um, that it's light out at 9.45. But uh, we were hunting uh, just the, I was the second hunt of the season, so it's late August. And, uh, you know, it's still light out at that time. And just an awesome experience. Fell in the river with the sheep on my back and all my stuff. And he's, you know, we made the call to, to not freeze our butts off and um, made it all the way back to camp. So I think we did like eight miles back to camp in the dark, 
uh, and then slept for three hours, woke up, put our packs and our spike tent in our packs, and then did seven more miles back to base camp. So that was just an awesome first experience. Um, and then it was, how could I get on another sheep hunt? Um, and then I found this kind of last minute tag, uh, that was available for the stone hunt. I did that. And then the year after that, which was last year, uh, 2022, uh, I drew my U tag, but like I said, I, I consider myself two of four right now. Um, and I'm still applying for that U tag to prove my point. So hopefully I draw a Rocky tag or a Kelly tag somewhere else. And I just need to go book my desert. It, it's not getting cheaper and it's, it's going to be a tough one to draw. I think I don't have that many points in a lot of other States. So, uh, I bet if I just, you know, save some funds and book the hunt, uh, I'd have better luck there. But yeah, that's where I'm at on my sheep. Uh, and then one of the other things I'm chasing is my 29. So all big game species in North America. I am technically in, including my U, I'm 19 of 29 right now. Um, and so I'm trying to finish that by the time I turn 35. So I got about four more years uh, to chip away. And it's really, from here on out, it's booked hunts. I drew my Shire Smoose tag for this fall. So that'll be 20. And then I just need to book my caribou. Uh, so I need my mountain caribou, my central Canadian, um, and then I need my woodland. Um, and then I need brown bear, grizzly bear, and polar bear, uh, musk ox, and uh, two sheep. So uh, I'm close. I'm going to get there. Awesome, man. So what's uh, what do you got planned the next? You said you got your straws, but what else do you have planned for this fall? Anything else? Uh, so I leave in... Uh, 25 days to Russia, which is super safe. Um, definitely upping my life insurance before I leave. Uh, but I'm going to Russia for <laughs> all three tour. So uh, Kuban, Mid-Caucasian, and uh, Dagestan tour. And then I'm going to hunt uh, the Caucasus Shamwa as well. Uh, I love international goat and sheep hunting. Um, I haven't done any sheep internationally. Uh, I've done Ibex. But that's something that I, I really enjoy is, you know, getting to experience those mountain species in other states. I just came back from New Zealand about a month and a half ago where I did chamois, tar, and stag. Uh, I got to do that hunt with my father, the guy who got me into hunting. So those hunts for me are important. Uh, my father will also be coming on my Shivers hunt. So, you know, my fall is actually kind of light. It's just that Shivers hunt. And then I have, you know, three weeks in August where I'll be in Russia but uh, I don't really plan on doing any other major hunts. Um, last year, I had a, a wild uh, a wild fall. I went from my ewe hunt, took two days off from hunting, then went on my tule elk hunt in California, uh, which I drew. And then I came back for like three days. Then I did mule deer and pronghorn in Wyoming. Then I came back for four days and worked. And then I went to Texas. And then I went trapping in BC. And then I finished off with a 615, a will lamb at any deer tag. So uh, freezers are full. Uh, I'm good on that. Uh, but yeah, I really, my focus for any fall from here on out is just chipping away at my 29. Right on. I could have sworn I thought I saw a Marco Polo on your Insta page, but obviously no, I didn't. No, I haven't done Marco yet. Um, I, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to get my dad to go on that hunt. He's... Uh, He's more interested in elk hunting as of lately, uh, in archery elk hunting, and that's kind of what he grew up doing. And we've done ibex in Spain. Uh, I have ibex in Spain and chamois in Spain booked for 24. Uh, so I'll go do that with uh, 
Euro hunts. Uh, but he's gone on some of those internationals. He loves Africa. Uh, my first hunting experience ever was actually, uh, while I was the hunter, was Africa. So I hunted big game in Africa before I was legally able to in the States or in Oregon. So I did Zimbabwe with him for a 30-day safari on free range uh, at 11 years old, and that just got me hooked. So we've done a lot of those international fun hunts, uh, but I don't think I can get him to Tajikistan or the 16 hours in a Land Rover or some of those crazy stories that those guys have that you know my body can take and my patience can take. But you know he's he's counting down his seasons. Uh, and he looks at life a little differently now. It's not how much more can I work or, you know, how well can I do for my family? Uh, he looks at his hunting seasons left. So um, his mind uh, mindset has changed. And it's cool to watch because he's, you know, making those decisions to go hunting more. Uh, New Mexico, Wyoming elk, uh, things like that that he, you know, is cashing his points on or, or you know, finally getting a draw. So... I think he's looking at more of, of those, but he, he will be going back to Africa for his tiny 10. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, I haven't done that with him yet. I don't know if I'd get him to do it, but I think it would be an experience that he'd love. Cool. Now, seriously, is, isn't Russia a little bit dodgy? Is like are they, They're kind of a war now, right? Like, is, <laughs> yeah. is there an issue going there, or what's the deal? So I got my visa today, so I guess I can go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, they had that failed coup. I I don't know if that was a publicity stunt to move troops around in their country or what that was really for. But they had roadblocks on every road going into Moscow. Uh, but uh, I haven't had any travel advisors yet. Uh, there's no direct flights into Moscow right now. So I have a stopover in Istanbul uh, in Turkey. So, I mean, it's as safe as anywhere else. I've had some wild stories in Mexico, cooster hunting. I've had some uh, wild stories in Africa, uh, just with game species. So, you know, it's 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 as dangerous as you make it, and as long as you plan and prepare and, and book with an outfitter that is reputable, I feel as safe as I can be. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I wrote in the contract for my tour hunt that you know if a war breaks out and I can't make it, that'll get bumped until you know I can come. And so they're still saying I can make it. And they've had American hunters last year. Um, and we'll see, uh, you know, when it comes down to get on a plane, if it's real, I had that happen in Mozambique tours, like 48 hours before I was supposed to go on a hippo Cape Buffalo crocodile hunt. Uh, they called me and said, don't get on the plane. We can't pick you up. Military won't allow people in and out of the airport right now. I was like, okay, well, thanks for telling me before I got there. So that's hopeful. Uh, but stuff happens, especially internationally. Um, you know, we, we can't control it, and it's just something you got to deal with and work through. And like I said, if you book with the reputable outfitters, um, you know, they'll honor, you know, your deposits, and they'll honor you uh, as a hunter in, in the contract that they've written with you. Right on. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, we've taken enough of your time today, Marcus. Uh, are you going to be at Sheep Week, and will you be down there representing Reno uh, or uh, Oregon and Reno? Yeah, so I will be. My first Sheep Week was last year, surprisingly enough. Uh I, I can't not go back now. It's uh, it's a fun one. Uh, we had a great time. Awesome. We had a great turnout, um, signed up a good amount of members, um, and got to talk about Oregon. Um, and so we will be there. We will have a booth, hopefully in the same spot, uh, same area. Um, but, yeah, I don't have a booth number yet. I haven't finished all the registration. Uh, but we will get there. We will be there. Uh, I'll be there early to set up uh, and come talk sheep if you're at Sheep Week. Swing by the Oregon booth. 
say hello. I would love to listen to your stories as you got to listen to mine. Uh, but yeah, thank you folks for having me today. Uh, and again, subtle plug, uh, Oregon Wild Sheep, we could really use membership and support. Uh, and I'm sure uh, Wild Sheep Society could as well use some membership. So if you aren't a member there, as I am of recently, uh, join. Uh, become a life member, become an annual. Um, those dollars do help, folks. So thank you for listening to me rant on about my beliefs and my passion. Uh, and thank you, folks, for both having me. Awesome, brother. Keep up the great work. It's uh, your inspiration uh, to all of us. So thank you for all you do. Yeah, awesome.